Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, hi there. Welcome back. Okay. Plenty of education stories here. One in particular, which I'm going to start off with, I've been sitting on for a little while, but I want to get to it because it's, it's typical. Stereotypical nonsense, but it's certainly important to bring up. I have plenty of jab-related things as well. Uh, a number of things to read and reflections from a number of individuals too, both jab-related uh, and yeah. And then we'll just kind of see where this goes. I have a bunch of notes here and a bunch of stories to to get to, but let's let's dive in. The first one here is from the Blaze, and again, this is from a few days ago. Uh, it is titled "Whiteness is So Evil." Quote unquote, Michigan school board trustee faces scrutiny over her unhinged racist tweets. Now, this is delightful because, again, social media comes back to bite people constantly, in particular, the individuals who are fearful of losing their job or something that they say and whatever else. The best part is, is that if somebody were to ask me, because again, I've been on Gab since January of 2021. But if somebody were to go backwards and look at my Gab posts, and you know, a person could do that if they know how to navigate Gab, they could go back and they could look at anything that I've posted. If they were to look at me and say, do you regret posting this? Is this a post that you regret making? The answer is no. I have absolutely zero regrets about anything that I post on Gab because all of it is factual, 100% factual. Very little emotion involved in it, just a lot of fact-sharing. Where people like this, however, get in trouble is they try to pass off their emotions as being facts, and then, of course, their biases come out, and then bigotry comes out, and their racist behavior comes out, etc., etc., and then they end up getting caught in the wheels of the, you know, the spokes of the wheels, so to speak. So this says again, a Michigan school board trustee who claims on her LinkedIn to be a lover of humanity, quote unquote, has come under scrutiny for hateful and unhinged tweets. What's the background? Keisha Hamilton has been a Jackson school board trustee since 2020, and she serves as the chair of the city of Jackson, Jackson's Racial Equity Commission. Ah, the irony. Now let's get to the tweets, because this is the fun part. Okay, let's see. It says this, uh, The self-professed racial equity consultant wrote to a black jogger on December 3rd, quote, The last thing you have to worry about is an animal, though that could be a very real threat. More dangerous are any white folks you may see on the trail. Be safe, unquote. That's nice. It continues here. There's another one. Working, living, in, around with white folks is incredibly difficult. Being subjected to them, their violence, and treachery uh, is severely abrasive, but they sleep peacefully at night. It's just tough out there. Unquote. Oh, let's, let's get another one, shall we? Someone said, what is the lesson you had to learn as you get older? They asked this person, this Keisha Hamilton. They said, generally, white people don't care, most of them. It's tough working living among them, sigh. That was back on May 19th of 2020. I just love it. I love it when people go back in time and find these people's tweets and expose them for who they are. Again, 
you know, there's no facts here, and they're not they're not using social media to share facts or educate people. They're just using it as a as a platform for their bigoted, racist, whatever you want to call it, behavior. Uh, yeah, no brains involved. It's just glorious. So there you go. So there's that. There's this too. No real transition, but I wanted to I wanted to mention this also because again, I know I commented on Gab about this and put the video out there. Uh, I don't know if I said anything on the podcast about it, and if I did, I'm just going to repeat myself, so I apologize. As we would expect, a lot of people, of course, aren't letting the Uvalde, Texas fake shooting thing go away. Uh, it's being rehashed in you know one instance after another. The chief of police um, is apparently under fire there. And he's the guy who, again, is associated with the school district's police department. And again, there were multiple police outlets, we'll say, or police departments, or I'm not even sure how you would categorize it. There's so many police officers in that ridiculous cult town. Uh, But this was the one that was apparently associated with the school district itself, which again seems strange because most school districts don't have their own police departments. I mean, it's it's not Disneyland, which again they have their own police and their own judges, and that's weird enough. But apparently that was the case, of course, in Uvalde. The police chief associated with the school district again came uh, came under fire for his handling of the entire fake thing, which of course was a drill, and no one died. And here's what proves it: in this particular article that I threw up on Gab. In fact, I just threw up the video, and you can find it on YouTube, and you can find it on my Gab account, and actually see it for yourself because it's beyond absurd. They they had video footage, again the the, the chess cam footage from the police officers who were again lining up uh, in single file, and then of course not even single file; they're just all scattered around randomly in the hallway of that building, not only in the hallway and around the corner, but right in front of the so-called classroom where, where the alleged shooter was, where they were actually inside. The police chief is actually running point inside of the building, heading toward the actual classroom itself. Now, that's strange, too, because that would never be the case. A chief of police wouldn't run point. That's number one. Number two, what happens next is beyond ridiculous. I'm, I'm telling you, I can't make this up. It's on video. It's on their own chess cam video. The video's on YouTube, and they reported this. Again, in their entire story about going after this police chief, you know, for for not doing enough. He didn't do enough. Ladies and gentlemen, it shows the police chief not only running point, but he walks right up to the door. All right? He walks up to the classroom door. There's another police officer there. Their entire chests are on the door. They're not hiding to the side of the door, around a corner, nothing. They're up on the door with their chests. And honest to God, what happens next is hilarious. The police chief sticks his face up against the glass 
the glass window that's on the wooden door, and he says, is anybody in there? I mean, he he starts talking to the alleged shooter. There are no guns being fired. There's not a single gunshot goes off. There's no blood coming out from underneath the door. There's nothing. But his, his entire body is plastered up against the actual door itself, the police chief's body, and he's asking whether or not there's anyone inside or whether or not anybody needs help, whatever he specifically says. It's one of the two things. Either way, that would never happen in an actual shooting. So I just wanted to revisit that briefly because, again, if anybody needed more proof that that did not happen, that right there at face value is just more proof. If there were an active shooter in a, in a room, you wouldn't walk up to the door because, again, allegedly, the guy had, what, a Daniel Defense uh, AR-15 at least. You wouldn't do that. But it was a drill. So they were showing each other basically engaging in a drill, and they couldn't even get the drill part right. Again, that should show you how inept these people are. It's not that there was a shooting. There wasn't. It's not that people died. They didn't. It's that they were trying to run a drill and pass it off as being real, and they couldn't even get that right. It's amazing. I find it incredible. But with every single thing that the media does, there's always hints that, that there's more to the story than what you can possibly imagine, and they always end up airing their own mistakes that prove that nothing happened. Or at the very least, it always ends up proving the more that they talk about something, uh, the, the less likely the story was actually true, and they end up, of course, showing their mistakes while they're trying to cover for the fact that, yeah, nothing happened. I know that was confusing there at the end, but it makes sense in my brain. So, yeah, there you go. Just wanted to mention that also. Okay, here's the next one. This is from, again, the Epoch Times. Uh, and it's titled, Ohio Parents Sue School District Over Teachers Allegedly Talking About Sexuality with Students in Secret. This is disturbing. Uh, that, again, that, that goes without saying that it's disturbing, but I continue to be shocked that parents are suing these people for engaging in their own degenerate behavior, which should cost them their jobs. And this comes from the Hilliard School District, very familiar with this school district, very familiar. Uh, if memory serves, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about that. I'm not sure if this was a place that I applied to many years ago or not. But I do recall, again, looking into the Hilliard School District a number of years ago, and they were full-blown social-emotional learning, to the bone. They had the PACs, good behavior game. They had all that nonsense that, that exists within the most woke and degenerate school districts. And again, this particular story just proves it. It says the following here. Uh, a school district in Ohio is facing a lawsuit from a group of parents who accuse it of allowing teachers to conduct private conversations on sexual attitudes and behaviors with students which parents claim intrudes into the upbringing of their kids. No kidding. The point I was going to make earlier, which slipped my mind and it's just now come back, 
is is why people continue to send their their children to these districts, sue them for, of course, their degenerate behavior, and then continue to send them there while they're suing them. I said that in the last episode. This is, again, more proof of that. Pull them out. Pull them out. I'm, I'm so shocked that, that this isn't happening more frequently or being reported on more frequently. Anyway, it says this. It says the lawsuit was filed by eight parents against the Hilliard School District at the United States District Court for the Southern District of Ohio on January 16th. Quote, the defendant Hilliard School District is allowing activist teachers, as opposed to trained supervised counselors, to specifically solicit from children as young as six years old private intimate conversations about sexual behaviors, sexual attitudes, mental and psychological questions of the student and the student's family and private religious practices, the lawsuit states. It's grooming. That's all. It's grooming, and that should be illegal if it isn't, which apparently it is. Uh, You know, I would take this a step further, and I would just say, why don't parents just start filling out police reports on these people? I mean, if you want to put the fear of God in them, that's a pretty darn good way to do it. Go after the individual teachers themselves, write down the names of all the teachers that are doing this, and then show up at a police department and fill out police reports for their immediate arrests for sexually grooming students. I mean, at the very least, it's going to, you know, you're going to have multiple eyes on it at a local level. Whether that sticks or not is another, you know, that's a completely different story. But at the very least, it would, it would at least scare them, you would assume. Uh, It says, quote, this is done not only without parental consent and knowledge, but the teachers are taking specific actions to hide these conversations from parents. Yeah, they do that. Although perhaps well-intended, this is a recipe for indoctrination and child abuse, correct? Parental rights and the school response. Oh, yeah. It also says this. Sorry. It says the lawsuit wants teachers to stop talking about gender and sexuality with children without parental consent. It also asks the court to order teachers to stop wearing LGBTQ badges containing QR codes that link to adult resources on sexual education and coming out, quote unquote. Now it rings a bell. I brought up Hilliard in the past with a story that had specifically to do with those badges. Now it rings a bell. And again, this is at least, God, when was that? I almost want to say two years ago. That was a long time ago when I mentioned that story. But uh, you recall, you, re- you may recall all of that. I mean, they walk around with the lanyards around their neck and then it has... The QR codes with the rainbow stuff on them, it says, you know, pull out your cell phone and click here, and then it immediately takes them to all this gay stuff. Uh, Yeah, disgusting. Parental rights school response. It says, Hilliard is said to have given surveys to students asking them which pronouns they prefer at school and which pronouns they prefer their teachers use while talking to their parents. Ugh, yikes. The lawsuit insists that such questionnaires violate parental rights to determine the upbringing of their children. Again, this, this goes beyond 
just individual teachers doing this. This is sanctioned completely by the building administration and the superintendent and the school board. It's everybody. So there's no fixing this. Again, you know, the lawsuit's nice and it may work and it may stick. If it does, so be it. But the listening audience of this show knows what the response is going to be really from that school district. What are they really going to do? They're going to recycle, rename, and find other ways to engage in their degenerate behavior with minors because that's who they are. They're degenerates. They're sexual predators. They're pedophiles. That's who they are. I mean, you can tell a pedophile to stop. Is that going to make them stop? No. Nope, it won't. Will they fire these people? No, they won't. It may move them around a little bit, but other than that, they'll, they'll remain in the building and they'll keep doing what they're doing. They'll just find another way to do it. Uh, let's see. It says that school officials claim that the survey is not a practice of the district with Superintendent David Stewart making it clear that it does not support surveying students on such a topic. In September, the Hilliard Education Association provided LGBTQ badges to educators with the I'm here, quote unquote, slogan next to a pride flag. The district has 21 days to respond to the lawsuit, blah, 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 blah. Transparent and vigorous defense. Yeah. Again, the use of the word transparent. Stop saying that. (laughs) Is anybody with me on that? The use of the word transparent is disgusting because it's only the criminals that use it. Well, we want to be transparent, and we're trying to be transparent. Uh, uh, what is her name? Corinne Jean-Pierre, the uh, press secretary. Again, she says transparent constantly. She's as transparent as a bucket of mud. Most of these people are. Yikes. Okay. Anyway, that's that. That's happening locally, kind of in the general area. Again, Hilliard is around the Columbus area. Just. Uh, just west of Columbus, but there you go. And it's happening all over the place. Let's not kid ourselves. This comes from Hot Air, this next one. Number of Virginia high schools who failed to inform students of merit awards rises to 13. Now, you heard me bring this up previously regarding one Virginia school district. I believe it was Loudoun County, if I'm not mistaken. There are many more, as it turns out, and I want to dive into this uh, Briefly here, let's see. Prince William County, which is just a bit further west from Fairfax County, it says another school system in Northern Virginia has admitted to not telling students about their prestigious national merit recognition in time for important college scholarly deadlines. Two Prince William County high schools didn't notify students of their national merit recognition in time for important college scholarship and admission deadlines, the school district told Seven News. The school system blames accidental administrative oversight for not telling students last September. Now, if you recall, it was only white and Asian students that weren't receiving these notifications. It wasn't Hispanic and black students that weren't receiving these these merit honors and, and these merit notifications. It was just white and Asian students. So... 
<clears throat> I'm going to list these counties here, but before I do, it should go without saying that this is clearly a crime. This is fraud because that's what it is. And uh, again, I, I just continue to be shocked that people are allowed to run these school districts with the amount of crimes that are taking place. They're criminal organizations. And I, I don't know, I mean, I'm just going to keep doing it for the duration of the existence of this show. All episodes, because I don't have a choice. If people just left these school districts and broke themselves out of the matrix of thought that they needed all these merit awards in order to go to this place or that place for school in the future for higher education, so to speak, if they just left, the school districts would cease to exist. The indoctrination camp would pack up and leave. It would, it would just crumble to the ground. That's it. The only thing that keeps these schools existing is your participation. So stop participating. That's, that's it. Just quit. Quit participating. Stop going. Ugh. Okay. Three counties. Fairfax County, Loudoun County, and Prince William County. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not accidental. This is not a coincidence. This is a trend. This is a pattern. For Fairfax County, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology was doing this. Again, keeping the merit scores and merit awards away from white and Asian students, not black and Hispanic students. Westville High School, Langley High School, Annadale High School, Edison High School, Lewis High School, and West Potomac High School. That's just Fairfax County. Again, that should be a, you know, that should be a federal or state-level investigation into these places. But the reason, of course, that they're not being investigated is because they're criminal organizations that the state is holding up and protecting in order to maintain them as criminal organizations. Loudoun County, there are four. Freedom High School, Loudoun County High School, Potomac Falls High School, unnamed high school in Loudoun County is number 11, apparently. And then Prince William County just has two, Battlefield High School and Colgan High School. It then says this, this sweet little gem right here. Fairfax County Superintendent Michelle Reed who, by the way, looks like a leftist and she has the eyes to go with it. The bug eyes are back. She has claimed that all of the failures in her district were the result of individual failures, not an organized effort. Sure. Because individual failures would occur in seven of your high schools. I just don't know who buys this. You know, you've heard me say that PR directors, HR directors, th those individuals who work for school districts are arguably the worst kinds of people. Superintendents are right up there. I mean, they are in constant damage control all of the time. They're in constant lying mode. And it almost goes without saying that to hold the position, you have to be a liar. It's almost a prerequisite. It then says, and then, of course, I'm going to let you hear what this woman sounds like. It says, but Reed has expressed her commitment to equity from, her st from the start of her job. 
In this clip put out by FCPS, she said, quote, I've made it my life's work to ensure equitable opportunities and equitable outcome for each and every student that I've had the opportunity to serve. Ugh, okay. Give this whack job a listen in three, two, one. Good morning, third graders. How is everybody this morning? I'm Michelle Reed, and I am thrilled to be joining the Fairfax County Public School community as your new incoming superintendent. And I am so excited to be here today. Uh, the energy, the passion, the excitement uh, for education, which I think is the most powerful profession in the world, because all other professions go through public education, has just been inspiring for me today. I think it is a fabulous time to be in education at such a time as this. We're really at a crossroad in our country and around the world as we struggle to rebuild and reframe and really reimagine our public schools so that we're not reopening um, the public schools of the past as we move forward. I have chosen Fairfax County Public Schools because of the amazing work Fairfax County Public Schools has done over the years. It's a school district I've benchmarked for many years and a school district that has really set the standard for world-class education in this country. I just think that ability for us to resolutely and relentlessly maintain high expectations for each and every student is key. And the Fairfax County Public School System has a reputation for that. What's your favorite animal? Cats. In fact, when I was little, I put whiskers on because I uh, wanted to be a cat. My heart beats strongest when I'm out in classrooms and schools. And I think the ability to maintain trust and relationships and keep communication lines open that go two ways are going to be very critical to the success of our school division moving forward. <laughs> I've made it my life's work uh, to ensure equitable opportunities and equal outcomes for each and every student that I've had the opportunity to serve in a variety of contexts um, throughout my career. And that's a core value for me and one that I'm going to continue to focus on and work through as I enter the Fairfax County public school system. All students have hopes and dreams, and it's our responsibility as public educators to nurture, support, and guide those uh, students to a brighter future. Fear not, everybody, fear not. This superintendent openly admitted to a student when asked the question, what is your favorite animal? And she said, cats. And then she said, when I was younger, I put whiskers on my face because I wanted to be a cat. That's right. See, here's, here's, here's the thing. Uh, deep breath. There's no way in hell that I would ever pass an interview <laughs> of any kind, of any kind, for a position as a superintendent. Not ever. Not ever. Not in the current failing, jab-filled, mask-wearing, psycho landscape that exists now. No chance. You heard all the different words that she used. Very well scripted, public relations to the bone. We want to make sure and create a nurturing environment. We want to not have public school of the past, but make a new and brighter future for public education. I mean, she just says everything because she's got it all written down, she practices it at home, 
uh, it's just disgusting. That that video was nine months old. She's operating a criminal organization filled with endless ideologies. Now, again, you would think that school districts would want to be successful and reward those who are successful. Not so now. The landscape is completely shifted, in particular in those three counties, from what we can tell. And now what they want to do is, is they just want to make it pure communism. I don't know how else to say it. It's just 100% communism. Everybody is the same. Everybody is doing the same thing. Everybody's achieving at the same level. That's impossible. That's absolutely physically, mathematically, physiologically, psychologically impossible. Sociologically impossible. It's impossible. There is no way that everybody in the same school building is going to achieve at the same rate. They just don't like that it's whites and Asians achieving at higher rates than Hispanics and blacks. It boils down to that and that alone. Because, it, because again, you can see those racial disparities, so to speak. Not, I don't want to use the word disparity. Um, you know, just the difference. They have those categorized out within school districts. But, yeah, it's terrible. These people should be arrested for fraud. Fraud's a crime. Arrest them. There has to be an email circulating somewhere where they openly talked about doing this with test scores and merit awards and whatever it may be. I mean, there have to be some sort of communications that have taken place throughout the course of time that would prove that they were in, you know, directly involved, that this isn't some, as they said in the article, an individual occurrence. 13 or 17 individual occurrences, weird. All having to do with the exact same thing, also weird. Now, here's the next thing, and this comes from uh, just the news. This actually stretches back to over a year ago, well over a year ago, well, not quite a year, I should say, uh, last May, where Libs of TikTok even put this out, and it's a mother speaking at a school board meeting about this sexually explicit assignment that her daughter was given and then had to perform, apparently, in front of the class. Well, now the mother and the father are suing. So this is titled, Nevada School District Sued After 15-Year-Old Girl Asked to Read Sexual Lesbian Monologue in Class. Um, two parents claim that their young daughter was required to read a graphic lesbian monologue as a part of a school assignment. Clark County School District in Nevada. Let's see. The lawsuit is filed by uh, Kandra, if I'm saying that right. Kandra and Terrell Evans claims their daughter, C.E., was forced to, quote, perform obscene sexual activity as a class assignment, unquote. The filing accuses the daughter's teacher of, here it is, unlawful grooming and abuse of a minor student. Yep. So this is the mother back on May 16th. In fact, I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do, because the audio is a minute, 43 seconds long, but it's really choppy, and, uh, and she gets interrupted, so I'll just, I'll just interpret it the best I can. She walks up, and she's nervous. She walks up to the lectern, and she's nervous, and she starts to read 
what the assignment was and what her daughter was asked to say. As soon as she starts talking about it, someone in the crowd behind her yells out and interrupts her and then tells the entire room that what she's reading is propaganda and that it's not real and whatever else. And then the president of the school board stops everybody and reminds the woman that, uh, that it doesn't need to be read and that it's inappropriate and whatever else. And then another parent comes to the parent's defense who's reading the assignment and says, let her finish, let her finish. The president then comes back and says, uh, you know, you've, you've got a minute left, a minute, 19 seconds left, whatever your time is running out. Uh, please be respectful and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, the mother looks right back at her and says, so if you don't want to hear it, of course, why is it that it's okay for my daughter to do such a thing in a classroom setting? And then they stop listening and talking to the woman who's, of course, the mother who's trying to get her point across. And another board member chimes in and basically passes the buck to the superintendent and says, the superintendent can directly address this. This isn't something we need to hear about here and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's exactly what needs to be brought up in school board meetings. I mean, if you're going to keep going to these environments, it's, it's of course, this kind of stuff that, that certainly helps. What I hope has happened, which, of course, I brought up earlier and, and keep bringing up, is that the parents themselves have taken their child out of the school district permanently, and then you sue them after the fact. Well, they didn't let her finish, and, uh, and she is suing them, which is great. Just don't send your child back. That's all. That's ultimately the, you know, the, the last major point that has to occur in this process is that you don't send them back to that environment. Retribution is likely to take place, not to mention that's not a learning environment. On top of the way that the child was already treated, she's really not going to be able to learn now in that environment because that's all she's going to be thinking about. You know, to, I'll say this too, to revisit an old subject, and it was even present in the, in the video, the, the audio that I played earlier with that Fairfax County superintendent, you know, the mask wearing, for example, the mask wearing that, that apparently even existed in Fairfax County nine months ago when that video was taking place. I mean, there were students walking around with masks. You know, at the beginning of this show, when I first started this show on October 6th of 2020, the mask wearing at the time was the largest abuse that was taking place within school environments. That right there was a perfect example, much like this is, regarding all the sexual degeneracy, of how much more can people possibly take before they take things, take matters into their own hands, whether that be legally, but more importantly, just from a parental responsibility aspect. Just be a responsible parent. And again, understand that these environments are teaching your children lies because the people who work within don't know what the truth is about almost all subject matter. And over the last couple of years, they've just abused them by depriving them of oxygen. You would think that that would be enough. But the number of posts that I've read on this show 
Even back again in the fall and winter of 2020 into 2021 regarding mask wearing alone shocked me, and it still shocks me. All those parents with with all those children who were injured from the mask wearing and, and saying, it's just so horrible. My kid can't breathe. They've got rashes all over the face, uh, you know, and they don't want to go back to school. But anyway, I sent them back the very next day. I mean, what the hell are you thinking? You're not thinking. That's the, that's the biggest issue here. And much like the jabs, which I'm going to get into the jab stuff now, it really is this overwhelming mentality of, well, that's not happened to my kid. My kid hasn't experienced that, so what do I care? Just like the jab and the jab injured. Well, I haven't had any ill effects from it. Sure you have. You just weren't paying attention to the fact that it was the jabs that were doing it. It's that disassociation that is really a massive problem. Well, it might be them, but it's not me. And the people that are taking that approach, it's... um. It's alarming, and it's short-sighted, and I, I think, again, that's really one of the larger mental problems that's taking place. It's just that blatant disassociation. Well, I know lots of people who have heart attacks and blood clots now. Yes, they didn't have them three years ago, but they have them now, and, but it's not me. I don't have any of that. Of which, of course, you can just respond by saying, yet. You don't have it. Yet, again, you know, the the sexual perversions haven't happened to your child yet. The mask wearing abuses, of course, have happened with just about everybody. But things like this that require a lawsuit and also, you would hope, require the, the parent pulling the child out of the entire district permanently, you know, Parents, again, saying, well, we haven't had to do that. Well, you know, our district doesn't behave that way. As far as you know, they don't. All districts are like this. All districts do these things. Again, they're in constant PR cover-up mode. It's what they do. It is their number one priority. Nothing bad ever happens here. If something terrible happens, it's not administration's fault. It's not in an employee, and if it is, we're going to find the person and hold them accountable. And yet they never do. The umbrella problem is, are all of these ideologies that are taking place in the brainwashing. I mean, how much more, again, do people have to actually see and hear and listen to before they make a change in their own lives? Which actually also brings me to this before I get into the jab stuff. It brings me to this larger point too, excuse me, which is it has to do with how parents parent their child or children, plural. You know, a lot of parents say to themselves, we can't homeschool because I don't want my kids home alone. Well, why don't you want your children home alone? How old are they? Again, when my brother and I, who's, he's two years older than me, when, when, when we were younger, we were in elementary school and our parents would leave us home alone. Not because they were irrational parents or neglectful or anything. That wasn't it. It was because they taught us what to do when they were gone. Keep the doors locked. Don't answer the phone. 
If somebody rings the doorbell, don't answer it. Pretty simple directions, pretty simple stuff. Not tough, not complicated. Again, I'm just shocked at the number of parents that don't teach their children what to do in a home, in their own home, when they're not around. And again, as we know, you don't want to set up a homeschooling environment in a home the same way that it's set up within a brick and mortar school building. Learning is just learning. You know, the, these children should be taught to just learn because learning is, is interesting. Arriving at conclusions and logical answers is interesting. Before you know it, if both parents are working or it's a single family home and, and the one parent is working and, and is gone, from, from the home environment, that, that doesn't mean that the children can't stay home. Now, yes, of course, if they're early elementary school or toddlers, clearly that, that's not a good idea. But by the time they reach middle school, I mean, for God's sakes, they, they should be allowed to stay home alone by themselves with rules. That's all. You, you teach them these things is, is my point. But it, it's parents not teaching their children about how to how to do things on their own. It's I don't know. I'm rambling, but it's a larger problem. And that really is one of the obstacles I think that a lot of parents have is they go, you know, well I can't leave them home alone. Well sure you could. Are you teaching them what it means to be there by themselves or aren't you? Are you are you teaching it to them? Are you modeling it? Are you showing them what it you know what to do and what not to do? So Chances are they're not, which is why they think that they can't have their children stay home by themselves. And again, if you've raised a degenerate kid because you don't trust them to be home by themselves because you think that you're going to come back and you know the fire truck's going to be in the front yard because the home is going to be burned to the ground, well, that's your problem as a you know that that's your fault as a parent. But again, most parents would teach their children how to be civil and how to behave within a home. That way, if the adult is gone or the parents are gone, the children don't destroy the place. So there you go. That's my little rant on that. Okay. Jab-related stuff, and there's a bunch. Um, There's this, and I want to hit on this big time. There's a story here of a first-year school teacher who has, quote-unquote, died suddenly at the age of 26. Uh, I believe this is overseas, somewhere in England, if I'm not mistaken, wherever Whitehaven, Cumbria is located. Uh, here's, here's the part that I've, I believe, mentioned before, but I'm going to bring it up again. Why is it that the media keeps using the phrase, dies suddenly, or died suddenly? You would think that they wouldn't even want to respond to stories like this, let alone publish them. So why are they? Again, we fully understand the media's capacity to not cover stories because it hits a particular subject or a particular subject matter uh, that, that, um, you know, that, that they don't want to cover because they want to cover it up. They want to cover the existence of the truth completely up so that people don't see it, don't think it's happening. Case in point, the white female schoolteacher who was shot by the small uh, black elementary school student in Virginia a couple of weeks ago. 
The reason that that wasn't plastered all over the place was because the student was black. You heard me bring that up here on the show, of course. What's the race of the kid? Oh, that's right. They're black, which is why they don't even want to mention it anymore. In fact, regarding that particular story, the New York Post went so far as to even cover up a picture of a previously published picture, I should say, of of the black kid himself. I mean, they had a picture of him with his face blurred out, but there he was next to a picture of of the school teacher. And then they they you know they just took the picture out and uh, and replaced it with a picture of of the school building. They don't want people to know things. Is is my point? So why is it that the died suddenly phrase keeps being used regarding these these heart attacks and these strokes and and these deaths? It begs the question whether or not again there are serious white hats behind the scenes working within these companies insisting that died suddenly be used because it's becoming mathematically impossible that this is by chance that that phrase keeps getting used over and over and over again it's not a coincidence it's happening with regularity and again recently also a fox news uh, vi- the fox news vice president died of a heart attack he was like 40 some odd years old 47 years old that's not normal that isn't normal he has suddenly passed away. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. He's dead suddenly. A- again, someone, someone is, in, is, is, is ensuring, I should say, that, that that phrase and phrases like it are used consistently in an effort to make it inescapable as to what's going on here. And that the and that the public can actually see this, and even the most brain dead and dead asleep will be forced to connect at least two dots to one another. Again, given all the language and all the words in in the English language and in the dictionary, they could pick anything else, or at the very least, like I said earlier, just not cover the story, just not cover it. Again, a lot of teachers die every school year, and they have before three years ago or two years ago when the shots rolled out. And they wouldn't necessarily make the national news. Now all of a sudden, they're all making the national news for the most part, and people aren't connecting the dots even yet. I think people are. I think it's gradual, but it's, it's not a coincidence. There's something else going on here in order to wake people up. We are, we are witnessing, in my opinion, and I'm not the only one that shares it, we're witnessing a purposeful operation here to wake people up. Yes, it's associated with the Q movement, no doubt. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's too, again, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a coincidence. It's too frequent. It's just too frequent, the word usage. Um, you know, there's another teacher too, again, I, I think I brought it up briefly a couple of weeks back, uh, Hispanic guy, I, I forget his name, but he, he died in front of his students, a middle school teacher in America died right in front of, uh, of his students in his classroom. He was double jabbed. He even was one of those virtue signalers where he took a picture of his, uh, of his vaccine card and posted it online. You know, I'm doing my part. Okay, you're dead now, so nice job for doing your part. But 
He, he posted a picture of it. Ladies and gentlemen, this guy took his first jab, if memory serves, on December 22nd of 2020. And he took his second jab January 5th, not two weeks later, in 2021. And then dies a couple of weeks ago in 2023. So the timing of that is interesting too, just from a math standpoint, that people had better sit down and start doing some math. Because it's poison, and people are dying years after they've taken it. I mean, the guy lived for, you know, two years after, after taking his second shot. Did he take a third or a fourth? I have no idea. But he did take two jabs in rather quick succession, I think. And that, too, is a massive problem. I even asked Kim Carter about that. You know, I, I shot her the picture, and, and she goes, this is outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. Beyond, of course, just taking the shots themselves, doing it in, that, in such a close proximity. Now, as we know, college and university students have done that too, copious amounts of them. You recall back in the fall of 2021, once Pfizer said that uh, they got emergency use authorization for their jabs right before the school year started, bang. As soon as that occurred, all those universities were like, well, you need the jab to show up here now, and you need them both by November, which means you had copious amounts of college students and faculty and you name it, taking two shots within just a month or two time period, if not sooner than that. It, uh, it, it blows me away. It just blows me away. That, that, that people are still dead asleep on this. Which also brings me to this point, too, before I, I, I read this next article. Um, you may recall that on this show, I used to read the occasional article from The College Fix or Campus Reform. Both of those websites are awful, for the most part, when it comes to covering what's really going on uh, you know, here in the United States regarding, regarding these shots. They aren't covering the lack of participation within school districts and college campuses just from a numbers standpoint. They're not covering that. In fact, I don't think they're covering anything jab-related, really. They're staying away from it completely. Again, in my opinion, it's the only thing that we should be discussing and, and trying to, again, sort of pontificate as much as we can and predict about what's going to happen here in the future. Now, you've heard me say all of those things and what I think that's going to be. It's a complete collapse of the entire system, but you would think that they'd at least touch it, but they're not. They're all hung up on the sexual degeneracy stuff and, you know, a professor said something inappropriate in a class and whatever else. The jabs are the thread that run through all of this here. You've heard me say that before. It's continuing to be the case. This particular article is from um, shftplan.com. It says, Doctor, 50 million Americans have serious heart damage due to COVID vaccines, quote-unquote. Vaccines is in quotes. According to Dr. Thomas Levy, a minimum of 7 million Americans now have hearts damaged by COVID vaccines. It's also within the realm of a possibility that around 100 million Americans have at least some degree of heart damage 
due to mRNA technology shots. Ladies and gentlemen, that's under a third of our population. Just under a third. Almost a fourth of our population. I mean, again, wrap your arms around what that means in, in the coming years, in the next, again, from the moment they took them five, even ten years down the line. It says Dr. Levy, or Levy, says that as of right now, there's no way to know for certain just how badly the widespread and widespread the heart damage has been. But the doctor says that these statistics are not necessarily myocarditis, but heart damage that will be detectable with a troponin test. Uh, Dr. Thomas Levy is an American cardiologist and an attorney at law. He's a contributing editor to the Orthomolecular Medicine News Service and serves as a consultant to Live On Labs, according to a report by the Daily Exposé. During an interview with Steve Kirsch on Tuesday, he discussed the effects the spike protein was having on the heart. And he was recently published, he recently published an essay titled Myocarditis Once Rare, Now Common, which formed the basis of the discussion. And then, of course, there's the whole interview with the two of them on Rumble, and Steve Kirsch is looking worse and worse by the day because he's jabbed. So there you go. Uh, and if memory serves, he was also on with Stu Peters, too. Here's the next one from the Gateway Pundit. High school football star in need of new heart after major heart attack. Now, I'm bringing this up for a very specific reason, too, because you've heard me say this also. Um, first of all, just very quickly, this is Marcus Martinez, a former Columbine High School football player and now senior at Bear Creek High School, suffered a major heart attack Thursday on November 17th of 2022. Now he needs a heart transplant. Here's the problem with that. And the first time I brought this up was back in the spring of 2021. May have even written about it in my last book. I'm not entirely sure. But I know I brought it up with Dr. Angie Farella when she was on back then. First of all, the line for needing a new heart is a mile long when it comes to the jabbed. The problem is number one, they're not going to be able to get a new heart. And number two, the spike proteins in the damaged DNA don't replace themselves when you replace the organ that has been permanently damaged as a result of your damaged DNA and spiked proteins that are flooding your body. You can replace every organ in the body. That's not going to change the outcome. So if he were to receive a heart transplant, the spike proteins would still attack his heart. So he would still have another heart attack eventually down the line and potentially need another heart transplant. Again, the heart as an organ is in high demand now. There has to be a person usually in close proximity or you have to be on a list in order to receive a heart. Like I said, the list to receive one is a mile long now. It already was a mile long, but now it's impossible. I mean, there's no, ch there's no chance. So I want people to understand again that if you take out the organ that has failed as a result of the jabs that, that people have taken, it's not going to matter if they receive a new organ. The body is still going to attack that organ. 
and I'm sure you've heard of this too. I know I've heard of this even among my own family members. Individuals in the family who have taken the jabs and they had a surgical procedure for, for an unrelated reason, but took the jabs anyway. And then the injury took longer to heal or has not healed. Well, that would be the case because that's what the spike proteins do. They go after the weak parts of the body first, and then they start to attack other parts of the body. So anytime you hear of a story like this going forward in the future, understand that, you know, that's the logical conclusion to all of this is that there's no viable solution to these people's problems when it comes to these, these illnesses regarding the shots. And again, you can replace all the organs you want. It's not going to solve anything. Okay. Not very upbeat, I know, but it's the truth. It's what's happening. Um, there's this, this comes from the Western journal 34. Again, this was, sorry, this was the guy 34 year old, uh, middle school teacher collapses in front of students, dies suddenly. Again, they put died suddenly in the title again. So there's the story. Jacob Sanchez, 35. He was a coach and a teacher at Divine Middle School in San Antonio. At the very least, he was double jabbed. All right. Now, here is uh, a post from Kim Carter. Kim Carter texted me this the other day. She works the night shifts at a major hospital in Cincinnati. And uh, she threw this my way. And when I'm done reading this, I have an audio here from Naomi Watts, Dr. Dr. Naomi Watts, that I want to read or that I want to play too. Goes right in line, it just falls right in line with this. Um, okay, she said the following in a text message. She said, quote, had a patient code at 255 this morning. This was just the other day. Pulse 70s, bump to 80s, started to Brady down to 50s. By the time me and the nurse made it to his room, no pulse. Had EKG and troponin yesterday, all within normal range. History of cancer, no heart history. Uh, talking to the NP before I left, and she was all revising or revisiting his labs, x-ray and EKG, to make sure she didn't miss anything. I said, you know what? At some point, we're going to have to stop denying what we are seeing. I opened his chart and pointed out that he had two Pfizer jabs and a Moderna jab. I told her sudden cardiac death has been connected to the jabs. Can't keep turning a blind eye. If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and walks like a duck, I'm calling it a duck. She got super fucking quiet and ended the phone call. I'm done pretending to ignore what we all know is happening. Of course, Kim Carter is not jabbed. She knows what's going on, and she's, she's doing whatever she can to wake up as many people as she can that she works with. Uh, so much so, she texted me the other day, and she said, can you... Can you help throw together some documents because one of the individuals who is in charge where I work wants to know more about this because they're starting to get scared, not just for their patients, of course, but for themselves and their entire family because they're all jabbed too. And I said, yeah, sure. So I, I sent her a bunch of stuff. And again, I recommend using the Exposé's website 
if you're interested in red-pilling people or finding quick access information instead of all the peer-reviewed journals um, and, and flooding people with that. Although you can because the peer-reviewed journals are embedded in the text of, of a lot of the expose articles. But the expose's website has a search bar on the left-hand side. Type in whatever word you want in there, Pfizer, Moderna, AIDS, VADES, you know, pick one. And, uh, and you're going to come across just a giant list of articles all right there. And they're all in chronological order. So you can see the dates that they're associated with and all of that. So there you go. Just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention. Here is Dr. Naomi Watts when she was on Real America's Voice with Steve Bannon. And she's talking about, I believe, the death rates and uh, the lack of children that are being had as well. So give this a listen in three, two, one. Dr. Chandler has found that nine months following the rollout, substantial birth rate drops were seen in 13 of 19 European countries and also England and Wales, Australia and Taiwan. He found that the decline of births in Switzerland was the largest decline in 150 years, a steeper decline than during two world wars, the Great Depression and the wide rollout of available birth control. There was an 8.3% drop in the birth rate of Germany through three quarters of this year, 2022. England and Wales had a 12% birth rate drop through June of 22, which is when their government stopped publishing data related to this. Remember, I reported that the BBC had to publish a spike in uh, miscarriages and spontaneous abortions. Well, they, they decided to stop looking over there in Britain in June of this past year. Taiwan reported an alarming birth rate drop, but its data also are incomplete. Australian birth rates, I hope you're sitting down, uh, fell 21% from October to November 2021, followed by a 63% decrease from November to December of 2021. Dramatic drop. And on August 25th, 2022, a Swiss research group called Hagemann Group published a statement regarding the decline of live births in Europe. Quote, my analysis puts the monthly birth figures in relation to the average of the last three years. In advance, it should be noted that every single examined European country shows a monthly decline in birth rates of up to more than 10% compared to the last three years. I can show that this very alarming signal cannot be explained by infections with COVID-19. However, one can establish a clear temporal correlation to COVID vaccinations incidents in the age group of men and women between 18 and 49 years, meaning childbearing age. Therefore, in-depth statistical and medical analyses have to be demanded. So Dr. Chandler has categorically proven the mechanism for the drop in birth rate, the fact that Pfizer knew and the FDA knew that women's fertility was going to be ruined as well as men's fertility ruined by these injections, that they went ahead anyway, that 80% of the babies that they followed died and they went ahead anyway. And now nine months later, there is a double digit drop in live births in Western Europe and, and other advanced countries like Australia. Um, and, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen the numbers for the United States. I'll ask him to work on that. But this fits in completely with what Natalie Winters is finding and this bioweapon theory because they're killing off Western Europe. Depopulation. It's called depopulation. I understand that's a little difficult for the Steve Kirsch's of the world. But it's depopulation. 
just because people don't think it's happening doesn't mean it's not happening. Just because people can't wrap their arms around it being intentional doesn't mean that it's not intentional. It's very intentional. This has been written about at length for centuries, and now we're living through it, and we're experiencing this, and we're seeing this. It is depopulation. That's the definition. That's what it is. Yikes. All right. I want to read a couple of posts here. Uh, let's see. One from greatawakening.win. I want to end on, a, on kind of a positive note as well. So I want to read something else at the very end. And then I have a substack that was tossed my way that's rather interesting. In fact, I'll just read this very quickly first. It, it refer, it's from The Farm is the name of the substack. And it refers to something that they call asymmetric information syndrome. And it's titled Asymmetric Information Syndrome 101, Explanations, Strategies, Tips, and Tricks to Outwit Totalitarianism. So it refers to asymmetric information warfare, syndrome, gathering, and then a totalitarian thought model. Let's see. It defines these based on their definition, apparently. Concepts asymmetric information warfare is the strategic and tactical information battlefield. Asymmetric information syndrome is the illness, quote-unquote, being suffered as a result of asymmetric information warfare. Asymmetric information gathering and processing is the information gathering and processing facilities that enable one to bypass asymmetric information warfare and syndrome. And then totalitarian thought model is the process by which enslavers attempt to enslave. So, uh, yeah. Let me get into this here. Because this is worth it. And again, it sounds essentially a lot like the basic definition of lying. But it is, of course, deeper than that because, as you've heard me say, this has to do with individuals saying and doing things based on something that isn't real. They believe it's real. They've been told that what they believe is real when in fact it isn't. Therefore, all of the actions that they engage in, they believe are common sense strategies to approach whatever it is that they're approaching, when in fact the entire basis of all of it is a giant lie. And of course, we're talking about all of the psychological abuse that's taken place this entire time, how we've all basically been prisoners of war to some extent, and a variety of other things. <clears throat> but it says the following, excuse me. It says, quote, asymmetric information warfare is being conducted all around you on a personal level. Whether you are fully immersed in its in inherent, all-encompassing scope and true nature or not. It causes a complication in those vulnerable and targeted, which can be described as asymmetric information syndrome, which can often lead to fatal consequences. It says asymmetric information syndrome is what happens when you do not have access to a technically correct answer early enough to protect yourself from harm. Education, credentialing, and life experience matter less than information consumption habits, tendencies, foresight, 
and retrospective processing faculties. At its most basic level, this can simply mean being a day behind the reception of life-altering, critical decision-making information, such as awareness of an approaching hurricane or blizzard, a storm. Not something you want to be caught unprepared for. At a more prescient level, it says, this might mean becoming aware two-plus years late of life-saving information about the potential dangers presented by untested and unvetted mRNA gene serum and their associated technologies, also not something you want to be caught unprepared for. I'm going to stop it there real quick before I move on. We're seeing this, of course, happen with regularity. We're seeing this happen constantly. There are individuals who are getting sick, and they're admitting that it's the jabs that did it. Well, I took those jabs, and I bet it's the jabs. Those people know, but they know too late. They still know too late. Then you have the individuals who are saying this constant phrase, which we're all hearing, which, by the way, this is, this is another one of those phrases which you've heard me say here on the show, but it's one of those things where you could, you could look at the person who says it and say, where did you hear that? And, and they wouldn't know what you're talking about, but you would look at them and you would say, well, wait a minute, you're just repeating what somebody else said. And it's when they say this, when they say, well, I'm sick now, but at least I took those shots because it could have been worse. The old, it could have been worse had I not taken the shots line. That right there is another person who is again caught in this asymmetric information syndrome. They're on, as you've even heard me refer to it here, the jab spectrum. You know, that's, that's its own notch in the jab spectrum of, of awareness and being awake. Uh, they're, of course more brainwashed than the previous person or previous example that I mentioned. But then, of course, you have the individuals who become immediately upset. And I've read endless stories of that being the case on this show, again, where people will be confronted with the fact that it's the jabs and they'll be in complete and utter denial. And they'll even become verbally angry as a result. This article continues. It says it's never too late to begin the process of counteracting asymmetric information syndrome. In order to do this, one must attempt at all costs to avoid totalitarian mind rape by strengthening one's innate ability con to conduct asymmetric information gathering and processing. Which, by the way, they're using the word mind rape because at the end of this article, they reference uh, Yost Mirlu's book, The Rape of the Mind, of course, which I've read numerous excerpts from that back in, uh, back in 2021. And it's a must-read. The Rape of the Mind is an excellent book. Uh, every human should read that book, in my humble opinion. Let's see. It says, quote, how do you do this then? How is it that you counteract asymmetric information syndrome? Increase the breadth and scope of information consumed on a daily basis, which is not driven by the totalitarian thought model. In order to do this, you must actively seek out sources of information and place them on an internal spectrum in terms of in inherent usability. Begin to treat your information gathering process as one might treat an intelligence collection procedure. Carefully 
discarding, vetting, discarding again, curating, discarding again, and then sharing relevant information in a timely manner. Ladies and gentlemen, that paragraph right there describes everything that I do on a day in and day out basis and what this show is all about. So again, our excellent uh, Louisiana educator is the one who tossed this my way, this article. It, it is an excellent article. And that right there encompasses, I think, what most of the awake people are doing. They're finding moments in the day or a set amount of time to consume information as much as they can on usable platforms that are objective, that they have found to be objective over the course of time through analyzing the information that comes about, et cetera, et cetera. You know, for example, there have been telegram channels that I'll be a part of, and then I'll start, I'll, and then eventually I'll read them a little bit, and then I'll just start to pick up on the patterns, and then I'll disregard them, and I'll delete the channel off of my telegram, uh, my telegram channel list because I just, there, there are better ones out there. There are more objective ones out there. So, yeah. That's, that's part of the curating and then discarding again and carefully vetting and so on and so forth. You know, that has to happen with regularity. You hear me mention greatawakening.win. I read that site. They're not always right about everything. Their moderators are garbage on that, on that particular site. There shouldn't be moderators. And as you've heard me say, I've been kicked off of, of that site for telling the truth. So that should tell you something about who moderates that, that particular page. But there's a lot of really good conversation, a lot of good back and forth, and uh, a lot of theories and thought-provoking information. That's, that's one of them. Godlike Productions. Godlike Productions, or GLP, is, uh, is, another, is another interesting site with interesting information. Some of it's garbage, but again, some of it is, is solid stuff. Then, of course, there's Gab. You can't help but get on Gab and come across many things that are true. Not everything on there is true, but a great deal of it is. And again, you can pick up on patterns and, and arrive at logical conclusions. Okay. This, uh, it continues. My apologies. I digress. It says, totalitarian mind rape is a procedural framework upon which the WEF and the CCP, the overseers, the lizard people, quote unquote, and countless other organizations which depend on the totalitarian thought model orientation operate in attempt to persuade, coerce, or otherwise tamper with minds. The would-be totalitarian mind rapists don't care about the validity of their arguments, the safety of their medical advice, or forced decision-making, or anything like that. They simply seek to tamper and alter by subterfuge rather than by fair-minded analysis. It says, as a good friend, as my good friend Michael Yan says, it's time to skip the bullshit and move things along to the next phase of the discussion. It's total war. But if you don't have a mental armament, it says, to deal with the reality of that war, you may very well lose. Yes, this is well written. And again, much of it shouldn't sound entirely surprising based on a variety of things that we've all heard and, and thought about ourselves. It continues, it says, in order to accelerate this understanding, one must first arm themselves with the underlying conceptual frame, mental frameworks upon which totalitarians, which are operating all around you, 
who conduct mind rape are operating. The importance of immersing and familiarizing yourself with the thought processes which underpin the enslaved slave driving, not an oxymoron, totalitarian thought model cannot be understated. These strategies are multifaceted. This piece will break down several components of asymmetric information warfare as they relate to the totalitarian thought model. It says fundamentally, at least in the case of most current analytical decision-making frameworks and methodologies, the concept of information asymmetry is critical. Information asymmetry occurs when there is any gap in knowledge between two or more parties present to a transaction. This transaction can be economic, medical, social, and or along any type of axis theoretical, theoretically possible. It says a simple exchange of ideas between two parties is enough to be considered an asymmetrical, uh, asymmetrical exchange of information, it says, where presumably one party knows more about a particular topic when compared to the other party. It is the task of marketers, salesmen, and conmen to convince you, by way of asymmetric information operations, that you have a particular need for what they are offering. This may be tangible goods, services, or even particular line of thinking, a particular line of thinking. It says, since there is simply no definitive how-to guide on how to spot asymmetric information operations, nor is there a way to isolate an asymmetric information virus. It's best to use a working example, followed by a real-world example. A working example, it says, would be if you were trying to purchase a used car, but the owner neglected to tell you the engine burns oil. You've been victimized by an asymmetric information operation. A real-world example would be if you had to choose between an mRNA gene serum injection, but didn't get the intelligence they were deadly toxic to humans in time, you've been victimized by an asymmetric information operation. And then, of course, they recommend that everybody, the article ends there, and they recommend that uh, everybody read The Rape of the Mind by Yost Mirlu, because yes, that book describes the psychological abuse that takes place with individuals and how they tend to go in multiple different directions when they are abused, but the person is really only being abused if they don't know who their enemy is and why their enemy is doing what they're doing. You see, I'm going to bring this back to education here. If you were a school teacher and you knew this kind of information, it would be interesting to see whether or not the teaching of, of this kind of information to your students, regardless of the subject you taught, would get you fired or not. Because this is valuable information. In fact, it is the only kind of information I think that should be taught in, in schools these days. This psychological war that we are in that is tricking copious amounts of people, and of course, as you've heard me say, is tricked people to death into taking their own lives without even knowing it. So again, all of those in, individuals ha, have been the victims of uh, asymmetric information syndrome without a doubt. And now I want to bring up an example actually that goes along with this. 
And it has to do again with multidimensional thinking and how people think about particular situations and particular scenarios instead of just believing one particular source. I want to go back to Lynette Hardaway's memorial, Diamond of, of Diamond and Silk. Uh, people have posted a number of different things on multiple social media platforms uh, about this and speculated openly about it uh, and, and thought about it. And then some people haven't thought about it and they've just name called or whatever. They've gone so far as to say, uh, you know, heartless things like, you know, sometimes fat people just die of heart attacks. Well, she wasn't overweight. If you saw a picture of Lynette Hardaway from back in 2016, she was larger, but if you if you saw a picture of her or video of her recently before she passed, she was rather thin. Uh, she had lost a great deal of weight. Um, so anyway, that that I, I I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. I'm just I'm just saying that uh, you know making heartless comments like that. I mean I know that people die of heart conditions and that's a thing, and that it can not be jab related. That's that's of course a thing and still a thing and not going away. But there were numerous things again that were shared in that in that memorial, and and you heard me talk about it in the last episode. This is interesting because this is written by an anonymous person on GreatAwakening.win, and it actually falls in line with what I was saying. So I want to read their post here because they hit on three major points that are accurate, I think. Uh, because again, a lot of people even like Jack Posobiec. You know, I'm not a fan of his. I don't. I don't like him. Uh, for a variety of reasons, because I don't think he's reliable, and uh, you know he's interested in clicks and followers and and being taken seriously, and yet he openly, completely misrepresented what the memorial was and what was said by Lynette Hardaway's sister at, at that memorial. So it's titled this. It's titled "The Truth About Lynette Hardaway." Uh, it says the following here. It says, first of all, let me say how horrible that we lost this great patriot. God bless her and God bless her family. It says, I watched her services over the weekend, and there are a few things that really stood out to me, and I wanted to share them with everyone. If you have not had the chance, you should watch it, and then they have the rumble link. They say the following. They say, number one, what a beautiful, close, faithful, and strong family. They should be an inspiration for every American family. Number two, Diamond did not take the, sh take the vax, it says. It says, Doomers, shills, and low-effort posters are running with the implications of Gateway Pundit and others that Silk blames taking the vax for her sister's death. And then in bold print, it says, that is not what Silk said or even implied. Again, you heard me say that in the last episode. It then says that, uh, it, it, okay, here we go. It says, Silk went on an entire tirade about how Diamond was against vac, vax mandates and thought it was poison. The reason Silk blames the vax for her sister's death is because she believes it spreads its poison much like a virus itself. I assume she is talking about shedding. This is the part of her eulogy everyone leaves out. Now, you heard me mention that in the last episode, too. That very uncharacteristically, but interestingly enough, Silk brought that up. She said people are getting shots and then shedding on people. 
So, it, yeah, it's possible that that, that was the case. Um, I'm just going to keep reading this post here. They continued and they said, I think she is probably right. My brother is every bit against the vax as I am. He quit his six-figure job to avoid it. He came down with myocarditis and a blood clot in his heart out of nowhere. He lives with his fully vaxxed and boosted girlfriend. Don't let doomers and shills use her death to disparage our president. And then her point three was this. I assume, yeah, I assume this is a woman writing this. I don't know. It says this, this one is kind of wild. I think Diamond was in on the plan. Doubtful she was read into the details, but, well, check this out, they said. It says both her brother and her son thanked Trump for giving her the opportunity to share worldwide. They didn't thank him for supporting her or promoting her, but each of them thanked him for providing the opportunity, quote-unquote, as though he put her on that path. Her son went on to say, quote, She was a frontline soldier bringing awareness to evil and wrongdoing in this country, unquote. And then they wrote, interesting. Now consider what her father said at the funeral, and she has the quote. It says, quote, I'm leaving this with you. Lynette told me something. She told me what was going to happen to this country. I can't share it with you. I cannot share this here. But I'm going to but what I am going to do, I'm going to take this and put it in an envelope. And I'm going to have it mailed back to me. Because if Diamond said it, it's probably going to come to pass. Unquote. And then they wrote, I really think Trump shared with her parts of the plan and gave her a mission. And I think she attempted to comfort her dad by giving him some hope via a small taste of that plan. And then at the end of this post, the author links directly to uh, Dr. McCullough's substack where there's an article that he wrote about shedding and how the spike proteins, again, it really is via electromagnetism. He's a virologist or believes that viruses are real at the very least. He's a cardiologist, but yeah, the, the viruses aren't real, but there is shedding taking place via electromagnetism, without a doubt. So they they link directly to that article. Um, I'll say this about that about that post. Very intuitive of the person to pay attention to all of that. And again, that is that is quite possible. Uh, you know, Silk had the stage of all stages there to tell the truth, and she did. I find that interesting. I also want to put this to bed because these kinds of posts or comments will get made my way sometimes online, uh, you know, below the content that I post on my pages. But people will say, you know, you got to stop carrying water for Donald Trump or you got to stop, you know, making excuses for Donald Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've been through it already on this show which means the individuals who are making those posts clearly don't listen to this show. And by saying that, by saying stop making excuses for Donald Trump, what the person is really doing 
is making excuses for themselves for not understanding what's really going on here. Now, I'm not going to rehash the, redefin- you know, the, the real definition of Operation Warp Speed. I'm not going to rehash all of that right now. I'll probably do that in the future yet again. But things are not what they seem. And it is multidimensional warfare and psychological warfare. And the lives that were saved were endless based on everything that the enemy again wanted to do to us, which is why everything was sped up the way that it was. And again, that was all on purpose. That was a giant on purpose. So let me finish with this. And then I will catch you on Friday. This was another anonymous post, and it is titled, I think we are witnessing a series of counterstrikes being set up and landed. That's what this Biden docs scandal is, a devastating counterstrike. So give this a listen, because again, it makes sense, and it's beyond plausible, because it's warfare. And I think the good guys are certainly in charge. They have to be. There's too many things occurring right now in a particular pattern and and in particular ways. It says the following. It says, Trump set them up with his own bogus document scandal, which was really just a transfer of evidence from Trump to DOJ, which Trump and team orchestrated in the first place. The setup worked beautifully. Precedent set, templates cut, narratives deployed. And now the boomerang, the counterpunch. The Biden White House caught in an even bigger and criminal document scandal of its own. Their response is to pivot to pushing Biden out so that Kamala Harris can get in, which means they are turning on Biden. Good. Normies, moderates, what converts may be had from the left, they were never going to listen to criticisms of Biden that originated from Trump, Con Inc., Anons, or anyone they perceived to be biased right. But they will listen to the mainstream media and people they perceive to be biased left, convincing people in the middle and left politically to drop Biden will necessarily will necessarily detailing Biden's offenses to them. Not sure what that means, but I kind of get it. It says and Biden's crimes. They are prototypical swamp crimes, prototypical deep state crimes. See where this is going? Got popcorn? Just human. Unquote. You know, again, this is one of those stories that I'm paying attention to. It's one of those things I know that a lot of people are paying attention to. I'm not diving deep down into it because I think that when it comes to many of the so-called stories that are going on right now, this is one of those that the white hats must really have serious control over and they're playing it you know one 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 play at a time it's one chess move at a time on the board and they know exactly what they're doing i have no doubt about that but um it's the education and the jab related connections of course that that i'm focused on and and watching the medical system and the education system just continue to crumble in front of our eyes as far as joe biden is concerned i'm leaving that to uh I'm leaving that to the real psychological warfare people who really know what's going on and are pulling those strings because I have no doubt that that that's actually taking place. It has to be. It just has to be. You know, the media never asks who turns on the flame when they, the moth, run right to it. 
And, and we're always asking those questions and trying to figure out who's actually turning on and off the flame that's causing the media to respond the way that they're responding. Because again, look at the jabs themselves. Look at what the media is doing with the jabs. They're now mentioning it. They're now bringing it up and they're having to eat their own humble pie on a constant basis. You heard me again mention the Fox News vice president earlier in the episode. Same thing. Brett Baer had to report on his death. I mean, how more obvious can it possibly get that it's shot related? So, I don't know. It's just, you know, people can run from it all they want, but it's going to be impossible to escape. With all that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.